Today we continue exploring some of the experiences of the Jews who were carried into exile in Babylon over 2,500 years ago. And we consider what their experiences might teach us for some of our circumstances today. Last week we talked a little bit about the history, how the Babylonian armies conquered the Jewish kingdom, captured Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, and carried leaders into exile in Babylon. Today we're going to consider some of the experiences of four of those leaders, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, or as those last three are more commonly known, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now the first thing we notice, by the way, is that perhaps their experiences differ from what we might expect at the hands of a conquering army. It is true that these four and others like them don't have much choice in what they will do, but they're not going to be lowly uh, slaves sent out to the fields to harvest crops or to build pyramids or the like. Instead, they're going to be conscripted to do what they might have done in the Jewish kingdom for the king and the emperor in Babylon. They're going to become part of the imperial bureaucracy, middle management, if you will. And one of the things that's notable about that is it does come with what most people would consider a perk. You do get to live a little bit better than other people around the empire. If you're part of the bureaucracy, you probably have a nicer place to sleep, and you certainly have better food and drink to partake of. But that causes Daniel and his compatriots, and Jews in general, a problem because a key part of their Jewish faith has been what we now call keeping kosher, watching what they eat and how it's prepared and what they don't eat because of what it is or how it's prepared. They don't have any control of this in the imperial household and the imperial bureaucracy. And in fact, there's a lot of meat and a lot of wine that are partaken. These are contrary to Jewish laws. And so Daniel speaks up and says, is it possible that I could just eat some vegetables? Because that would mostly be following Jewish dietary laws. As you might imagine, the person in charge of serving the meals is wary of the suggestion because, well, let's be blunt, it could be part of a ploy for these people to become sick so they are of no use to the Babylonian king. And who do you think would get blamed if that were to happen? Them in part, but the person who allowed it to happen by not feeding them appropriately. So Daniel offers a compromise of sorts. Let's try it for 10 days and see what happens. Just vegetables and water, because that mostly follows Jewish practice. Let's see what happens. After 10 days, they're healthy. In fact, they appear healthier and stronger than those that are eating the richer, and one imagines heavier, fattier uh, food enjoyed by others in the imperial bureaucracy. And so Daniel and other Jews like him are allowed to have a different diet. And in this small way, 
in the Babylonian eyes, but I imagine in this large way in their own, they're able to keep a bit of their faith. Now, let's be honest, it's not a perfect solution. After all, I don't think any of the Jews are cooking this food for themselves, so they cannot guarantee that it is being prepared in accordance with all of their tradition, all of the Jewish law. But they recognize how important the dietary laws are to their faith, and they seek to find a way to follow them as best as they can. And they even take a risk. They take a risk of upsetting the powers that be, the king himself, in trying to keep this aspect of their faith. We celebrate them because they were willing to stand up to the king. They were willing to try and keep the faith. They were willing to, in some ways, adapt a little in order to keep the key part, the key aspect of the dietary laws, what they ate, what they drank. So they had to have courage, they had to have determination, and they had to be willing to adapt. And I imagine it doesn't take a, a PhD to imagine where I'm going with this meditation, because I think those are lessons for how we need to keep our faith in these changing times that we're living through. We're not able to do all of the things that we've normally done. Let's be honest, we're not able to practice our faith the ways that our parents and our grandparents and our Sunday school teachers taught us to be Christians. And we have a couple of choices. We can say, well, I guess, I guess God has just given up on us for a while. And we can wait for God's favor to return so that things can get back to normal. Or we can be brave and say, no, our faith is vital to who we are. And we have to find ways to keep it. Even if that means we have to adapt. Even if it means, by the way, that we have to be courageous and do things that the powers that be, so to speak, might think are ridiculous or foolish or contrary to the good of everyone else. To do that, we have to identify what it is that is a central aspect of our faith. What is essential that we have to hold on to, that we have to keep doing, and how can we adapt it to these circumstances? I mean, we're doing one of those things right now, right? I mean, after all, I'm in the sanctuary, and I would love nothing more than to gather with a bunch of people in Jesus' name, to sing together and pray together, to gather at the Lord's table together, to open the scriptures and seek wisdom from them together, including the question and answer time that we're not enjoying right now. But we're not able to gather safely. So what do we do instead? Do we say, well... I guess no worship, no worship for a while. Well, that's not what we've said. We said, no, worship is a key part of how we relate to God and how we relate to each other, how we live out that greatest commandment that Jesus identified, to love God as fully as we can, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Sometimes we worship through a screen, sometimes through a telephone. 
but we find different ways to pray and praise, to sing and to hear the music of our faith and to have it touch our souls, to gather in Christ's presence with others in his name at Christ's table, to serve with generosity and compassion and love, to give, to say yes to the things God asks us to do. Is it the same? Of course not. I'm not going to lie. But is it completely different? Are we still worshiping? Are we still praying and praising and communing and connecting? Are we still loving and serving and helping? To the extent that we can say yes to those things, that's how we're adapting and keeping the faith, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. And that is the essential key to keeping the faith in hard times, to keeping faith when we find ourselves in what seems like an exile from all that we have known and expected as Christians, just as our Jewish ancestors were in exile, separated from all they had known and expected as faithful Jews. But we don't give up. We don't imagine that God has abandoned us, or certainly we don't imagine that God isn't with us, but we understand that we have to say, this is a part of our faith that we cherish. This is a part of how we seek God and share the love of Christ and serve others in his name that we're not going to let go of. And we're going to find ways to keep living that out. We're going to adapt to these new circumstances. Daniel and the other Jewish leaders in Babylon have become legends, have become legends and heroes of faith because they did exactly that, not only when it came to dietary practices, but with some others too that are retold throughout the prophecy and the recounting of Daniel. I hope that the same can be said of us when others look back on these challenging times and see that we did not lose faith we did not give up. We grieved what was lost and we admitted it. And then we said that these things we cherish and we will cling to, we will hold tight to, and we will live out. And so we adapted and we changed and we kept the faith with courage and determination and certainly with God's help. So how are you doing that in your life? Or have you been waiting for God to shift things back to what we're used to? I imagine that God is whispering in your ear this day and inviting you to say yes to keeping your faith in a, a way that may be different that way it may be unusual, that may even be a little bit of a challenge for you. But I also know that at the heart of that invitation that God is offering to you today, it connects with your passion. It connects with some of the wholeness and healing that you have experienced through God's grace. It connects with some of the love that you have experienced and that you now need to share in Jesus' name.
And so I hope that you'll listen for God's still voice inviting you. And I hope you'll find ways this week to say yes.